What's up, everybody? Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy. Thank you so much for tuning in. We had an awesome, awesome episode coming up for you guys, man. I'm so excited. I hope you guys are going to enjoy listening to this one as much as we enjoyed recording it. We got a great guest coming on, first-time Subway Sports Talker. His name is Arthur DeCesar. He's been in Vegas for almost a decade working with Caesar Sportsbook, now Westgate. He is locked into numbers, line movement, and what's going on with Super Wild Card Weekend. We talked through every single game as well as Arthur sharing some of his gambling pillars, some of the things that he cares about most when thinking about gambling, when thinking about specific lines, how to bet, why to bet, why we do this and why we love it so much. So stay tuned for that. Pat Boyle also joins us to talk through every single game. Again, every single game, we're helping you get ready, get excited, and bet this weekend right. So get ready for a great episode. But first, we got to get to something that is top of mind for a lot of people in New York who listen to Subway Sports Talk. And realistically, uh, at least according to my Twitter, which obviously is a little bit New York biased, is the talk of the town for a lot of people across the sporting world right now. And that is the trade for the New York Knicks acquiring Cam Reddish from the Atlanta Hawks for Kevin Knox and a protected first-round pick that we had from Charlotte, a lot of excitement about this trade, a lot of takes on this trade, and it's deserved. It is deserved. I like this trade a lot. Cam Reddish is a guy who I would have targeted in the summertime to trade for, and I'm happy that they targeted him now as well. If you're not too familiar with Cam Reddish as an NBA player, obviously a lot of people are very familiar with him as a player on Duke. Let me tell you this. What won me over for Cam Reddish as an NBA player is not the shooting, it's not just the size, it's not just the upside of him as a wing who can score the basketball. About a year ago, heading into the second half of the season, Cam Reddish proved that he can defend at a legit level at uh, in the NBA. He's got the size, he's got the athleticism, and he put it to work and became a legitimate defender in this league, which is something that obviously matters a lot to Tom Thibodeau and this New York Knicks organization, and is something that's going to help them. Because when we think about the New York Knicks right now, we think about how last year they were this elite defense and this team that was about to go on a run all the way to the four seed, and it didn't feel like that same vibe this year. The defense hasn't been quite as good. The offense hasn't been quite as good. Cam Reddish can definitely help the defense, and in a lot of ways can help the offense. He's another guy who can shoot. He's shooting four and a half, three attempts per game at a career-high 38% clip. He was 26% from three overall last year, which is not very good. However, he has turned it around, and he's always shown the the reason to believe him to be a great shooter in this league. Now, he's not quite there yet from a consistency standpoint, but with a 90% free throw percentage and a lot of numbers and eye tests in college and before that, showing that he has what it takes to be a good shooter, it's really only a matter of time for him to find that consistency. So with that being said, with all that excitement, with all the love that Knicks fans are giving right now to Leon Rose, it's mostly deserved. I'm not trying to poo-poo this trade at all, but I am trying to just simmer it down just a hair, right? Because I I hear a lot of words out there on Twitter and talk shows and whatnot. The Knicks fleeced the Hawks. The Knicks got the steal of the year and all this stuff, right? Now, is it a fleecing? No, it's not. Is it a good trade for the Knicks? Absolutely. It's extremely low risk. They're giving up a pick that doesn't really matter to them and a player who couldn't crack their rotation. Now, you may ask, why did the Hawks do this? The Hawks most likely did this because there is a bit of a logjam 
in their rotation where they almost had one or two too many guys to give out those minutes to. In the past couple of weeks with COVID hitting and the Hawks having some guys out, Cam Wright has stepped up and had some great offensive performances. But what you should not expect as a Knicks fan is Cam Reddish to show up and completely change the fortunes of this New York Knicks team. He's not going to show up and average 25 points per game. He averages 12 per game. He'll be around that, if not lower, because of the spread on the New York Knicks team where Randall's going to get his shots, Barrett, Fournier, uh, et cetera, right? Burks, you know the deal. Quickly, he's not going to get a whole lot more shots. Hopefully, he can maintain that 38% efficiency and bring some legit defensive intensity and ability to this team. I just don't want people out here getting all amped up on Cam Ryder saying, oh, what a fleece job by the New York Knicks. He's just what we needed. He's not just what we needed. He's a piece of something that can help this team be better. So again, it's something to be excited about, but it's something that you should manage your expectations on. He's not flipping the script by himself. He's not coming in like Derrick Rose last year and going to be the sole reason why they go on a run. He can hopefully contribute. And another question mark is, where exactly are all of his minutes coming from? Is Burks losing time? Is Fournier losing time? I know that kind of excites some Knicks fans. Is quickly going to lose time? You know, Barrett and Randall aren't losing time, obviously, right? So that's another question mark here. How does he fit into the rotation? I love the trade. It's a no-brainer. And you do it 10 times out of 10. But the point why, if you do hear some negative stuff, like, oh, the Knicks give up a pick, right? That doesn't really matter. Think about it like this. Based off the picks that the Knicks had going into last year, they drafted Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, uh, Rokas, I can't remember his last name, Jericho Sims, and now they use another pick to trade for Cam Reddish. They still have a number of picks remaining. You can't draft all those guys, and they're all going to be impact players. You acquire draft picks not just to make those draft picks, but to use them as capital in the trade market. That's exactly what the Knicks did here, and that's why it's a low-risk, no-brainer. Think about it. Deuce McBride is a rookie that we all like, who we think can compete at the NBA level. He can't even consistently find himself in the lineup because there is some depth on this team. Okay, So if you're worried about the Knicks getting rid of picks, don't be. Because if they make four picks next year... Three of them ain't touching the court. Now we got a guy who can defend at the NBA level, proven, and has a ton of scoring upside. So be excited, but manage expectations. The Knicks are on a run, and it seems to be getting better from here, and I expect it to continue to get better after this trade. So shout out to the New York Knicks. But first, before we get to the episode with Art to Caesar and Pat Boyle talking super wildcard weekend in the NFL, which is, I can't tell you enough, man. This is one of the best episodes we've done all season long. First, we got to tell you about our friends over at DraftKings. The NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. We're counting down to Super Bowl 56. And guess what? New customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. 56 to 1 odds. You don't need to be a math whiz to know that's a massive payout. In fact, said massive payout is $5 to win $280 in free bets if your team's victorious. Also, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can win huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team 
Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPM this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. All right, here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST, Apple Podcast app, Spotify, you're hearing me say these words, so you found us. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review while you're here. Join with me, as always, as he does so many times throughout this NFL season, throughout the entire year. We have a special guest coming in just one second. But first and foremost, my guy, Pat Boyle. What's up, brother? Hey, what's up, baby? We've waited all, waited 18 long weeks for this. We finally got playoff football, and as if six games on the slate this weekend, three days wasn't enough. We got to throw the title Super Wild Card Weekend. So I'm, re- I'm ready to go, man. Let's rock. Absolutely. I'm feeling super pumped for this one. Also joined with us today, a new guest on Subway Sports Talk making his debut. You may have heard him on the WFAN airwaves, just like Pat Boyle. May have heard him on some Ringer podcasts, amongst a few other shows that you may have heard him talk gambling, talk shop, talk NFL on. His name is Arthur DeCesar. Arthur, what's up, brother? Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Pete, it's a pleasure. Pat, really happy to be here. And listen, like Pat said, man, this is super wild card weekend, dude. This is going to be a lot of fun. Three days of football. We rolled it right through to Monday. It's going to be awesome. A lot of intriguing matchups, a lot to break down. So let's have at it. And to give you guys a little background, at ArtDice21, find him on Twitter, talking shop all the time, working out in Vegas for almost a decade now. Very exciting stuff, but New York roots as we like to keep it on Subway Sports Talk. Even when we're talking about sports across the nation, we always got a little New York root in us. So we got a Bronx native in the house. Art, you art, you like art as well, I imagine? That works yeah, for you? Yeah, you know what, man? I grew up, everyone called me Artie. Okay. But like I've adopted Arthur as like my professional name now. And people always are like, dude, you're not Arthur. And I'm like, well, that <laughs> is my name, man. So like, yeah, yeah. I'm cool with everything, dude. People, a lot of people at work call me Art. So it's all good, brother. There we go. And, you know, I always introduce myself at the beginning of the show as Peter, but I don't think I ever call myself Peter in any other context. I don't think anybody no anybody calls you Peter. No, no. Unless somebody says, Gar, Peter. Like, uh, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, that's all I get. Um, but obviously, we're here to talk about the Super Wildcard Weekend. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, two games on Saturday, a couple games on Sunday, one game on Monday night. That's brand new. Uh, but first, Art, I got to ask you, a quick question give to give yourself a little background with the listeners here. You've been in Vegas for a while. I've been working a couple different sports book. Now you're a uh, super, what, what's it called now? Superbook sports uh, supervisor there. Westgate. Yep. And uh, I want to just ask you a simple question here. Do you have any pillars of gambling? So you obviously been involved with gambling for a while. I know on Twitter, a little conversation we had about the world of teasers in the NFL. Is there anything when somebody reaches out to you, who's maybe new to gambling, 
And now obviously in New York, a lot of people are new to gambling and they're making their rookie mistakes. Do you have a pillar or two when it comes to sports gambling that you always try to remind yourself of when you're making those bets, when you're hitting submit on those tickets that uh, tries to keep yourself grounded, maybe keep yourself working towards those positive tickets. A hundred percent. And listen, I'm 38 years old. It took me a long time to figure this all out. <laughs> when you first get into it, you want to bet every game on the board. You want to have action first half. Oh, let me come back on the second half. Let me do teasers and round robins and parlays. Dude, just do what you're comfortable with. And also too, like I know for me, I don't bet a lot of NBA. NBA is not my thing. I love the NBA, but I'm not an NBA better. So like, just find what you like. Just because there's NBA on and you're, you got to wait for football for the weekend, don't feel like you got to make NBA bets. Like, just find the things you're you're good at. Obviously, be responsible when you're doing it. It should be fun. And I'll say this about the NFL. I've learned over a long time in the NFL. I used to just be a regular side better. Not that I don't bet sides anymore, but I've really found the value in teasers. Teasers have, like, really become – like part of my NFL, just wait. like every weekend, that's what I'm doing. I'm betting NFL teasers because I just find the value in it. The lines are too sharp and it's just too hard to sweat out a minus three when I could take, you know, nine on the other side. It's just, I have found that. So find the things that you're good at and the things that you feel comfortable with. And like, just have fun with it. That's absolutely music to our ears. Uh, if you've seen our picks online, oh, yeah. you know, me, me and Patty Boyle love the teasers. I'm good for pretty much two a week. Pat's good for probably three a week. Cause you know, and if you, the shitty part about the teasers is when you, you know, you take your side and the, and the total maybe on the same game or you hit one, you don't hit the other, mm -hmm. or it would have hit if you took the side straight up. That's the frustrating part. But like you said, the values can be serious. If you take the right ones, one more question, cause we're going to get into all this stuff when we talk about the wild card games and that's narrative. And that's something that I try to fight all the time. I was with my friend of the Nick game last night. He's like a true like fan fan. He's on this podcast a lot as well. He loves his teams. He's going to die with his teams. He bets on his teams to a fault and he gets mad at me when I like quote bet with my head. Right. Cause I try to take a narrative that's really like maybe media driven, or I don't think it has that much impact on the game or clearly maybe it didn't affect the line. If I'm reading it such a way, when you hear like all these narratives throughout a week on the talk shows and on Twitter about, you know, this guy's going to play hard because uh, they're doing, you know, they're retiring Michael Strahan's jersey. So the Giants are going to come out hot. Like those types of things. How do you try to balance narrative? Obviously, that was like a dramatic one. But how do you take narratives that you hear all week that are hammered into our brains also with the data and what you see on the field? How do you try to combine those things and what do you look at most? Well, let me say this. The sports books were built on your friend and not you. You're <laughs> betting with your head. Trying. Your, friend, your friend who's going to bet his teams and with his heart, that's why they're going to continue to build these sports books because <laughs> we love when people come to the window with their Viking jersey on or their giant jersey on and they're like, well, I'm just going to bet my team this week. I mean, that's it's the easiest thing for us. But as far as like narratives go, there's some stock to them, I think. like Even in the last couple weeks in the NFL – Russell Wilson's last home game, they bury the Lions. Big Ben's last home game, they win the game. Like, there are some that you can follow, but I think still you have to stay true to your numbers, true to the data, true to the trends, or any way you're going to break down and analyze the game. I think you can fit the narratives in there a little bit. But in the end, I, it's not the most important thing, but it, it can be something to look at. Pat, we talk about that a, a little bit. You know, what, what, how do you feel about all that stuff? Because sometimes we get caught up. We may say we don't look at the narratives and then we end up saying on our picks on a Sunday morning, 
you know, I love the Raiders this week. Their their backs are against the wall. So like, Pat, how do you how do you balance that yourself? Back, dude, backs against the wall is like <laughs> the number one narrative for betting a team. And like week five, to, hey man, the this is must a must win. win game. This is a must win game for them. How many teams? I would love to know how many teams lose must win games because it's it's got to be overwhelming. Um, yeah, no, I mean it's. For me, like, I guess just really quickly, like my process of going through a game. um, And I think one thing that is super underrated that like 95% of bettors don't do. I have a subscription to Rotowire. I love them. Um, So I literally have the entire depth chart for both teams. So, like, you know, look at the team's past games, what they've done, past matchups. um, And then just like the style of the matchup. Like, for example, San Francisco against the Rams. Like the Niners dominate LA because of their ability to run the outside, the jet sweep, Shanahan's, you know, philosophy of offense against McVay. Um, and then, yes, like, for example, though, like looking into a game, like not many people know if a team is banged up, if it's not their skill guys. Like if you have your running backs and your receivers healthy, you think, all right, this team's like they're rearing and ready to go, but you might not be knowing they're missing their left guard. They're missing their right guard. They're missing their backup right tackle. Like they're down three linemen. doesn't seem like a big deal, but also then they're down two middle linebackers and they're free safety. And that's like a huge difference that so many people don't like realize, especially when like a team's strength is their defense and they're missing so many guys from them. Um, so I, I think that's just a huge thing is, is knowing who's playing, how banged up a team is going into each and every week. Um, and, and just knowing like the styles of, of a team's offense versus their defense and how that matches up rather than just looking at a team and just saying, Oh, well they won last week by, by 30. So surely they're going to, you know, now this is a measuring stick game for them. They're going to carry that into this week. So now, yeah, I think just when it comes to that, try to stay away. Don't even like read media clippings. Don't even read any of the narratives. Don't listen to sports talk radio. If you're looking to be a a good gambler, because you're only going to get caught up in bullshit. I'm telling you. Yeah. And working in the the jobs that you work, Pat, that's not always an easy thing to do, but you you know, you make it work as best you can. Yeah. (laughs) Working at the fan all week and trying to not listen to narratives is almost impossible. Oh, it's ridiculous too, because you know, you can crush a team one week as well for, having a bad game and, you know, you, you see, like, for example, the Giants, the week going into the week that they beat the Saints, right? I think they were – was that week four or week five, right? So I think they were 0-3 going into that game, if I'm not mistaken. They were not – if it was week five, they were 1-3. Either way, they got off to a terrible start, and they're on the road against New Orleans, and Joe Judge is already going under fire, and the play calling from Garrett's terrible, and you hear them get crushed all week long on the fan, and you're like, oh, well – Surely, you know, even though the Saints have Jameis Winston and, you know, they're not a high-powered offense like they were with Breeze, like they still have Alan Kamara, their defense is great, they're going to crush the Giants. And sure enough, the Giants, you know, basically beat them pretty easily. Their so, year. <laughs> yeah, that was their that was easily their best game of the year. Um, right. So, you know, again, it's you, you can't – if you're looking to be a successful better, you got to stay true to what you know works. Um, and, again, you know – get you what you're go with your gut usually most of the time as well because i can't tell you there's nothing more frustrating <clears throat> than losing a bet after you feel one way about it <clears throat> and then you have your mind changed by somebody else that has a strong take on it even though you had a strong opinion on it and you know there's every now and then too where you like you feel good about something and then you 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 know you you look into some stats or you hear something and you're like oh all right maybe maybe i don't feel as strongly as taking the uh, the rams here in this game as i did but there's nothing worse than having your gut changed and then it loses. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And all right, that's my next question for you before we start getting into these specific games here. You, you mentioned this before we started recording, and it's something that uh, I reference a whole lot when I'm doing my picks on uh, on our social media and whatnot, is the sharp money and the ticket totals versus the cash totals, right? That's something that obviously the people who are sharp and have the data definitely use. You know, what big betting groups are on this and on that, and how is the line moving and why is the line moving? It's not something that most public people are privy to, but you can find a decent bit of information here and there. How much uh, How much of that stuff do you look into when you're trying to figure out your picks for the week? Uh, it's definitely part of it. And the other thing I'll say about the NFL is, you you know, Pat said it too, you have to wipe from your mind what you saw the week before. Like every week is really like a new season. It's just like, you know, regardless of what happened the week before, obviously injuries are going to play into it, but just because a team, like you said, won or lost by 30 the week before, it really doesn't matter. Like it just doesn't. But as far as that sharp money goes, you know, the public never really gets the best of the sharp number because the sharps come in so early in the week. Like we'll put out, we put out two weeks in advance lines. So people can get in early. When we close the number on Sunday, we reopen the number Sunday night. The sharp groups and the sharp players are already betting into that number Sunday night. Public won't get to that number till Wednesday, Thursday, maybe even Friday when they get to town in Vegas. So a lot of the times, if you're reading about this sharp movement or the sharp number, you might have already missed that best number. And we all know a half a point, a point can mean the difference in gambling. We all know that. So it is good to know. And I've always said this, any, any show I've ever gone on, sharps don't win all the time. They just don't. Now, are they sharper than the, the normal better? Of course. I mean, that's why they're called sharps. That's why they're respected in sports books. That's why we keep an eye on them and keep a radar on them. We know who they are, but they don't win every bet. It's just that's not possible. But you do respect some sharp groups or sharp players who do come in and take a position early on a number. And then, you know, that's why we get the 50-50 balance because the public will come in and maybe get the worst number. So it usually pretty much balances out for us regardless. All right, I just got a quick, quick follow-up on that, a quick two-prong question. One, who would you – like who are who are like the sharp betters? Like we, we hear like, oh, the sharps. Is it just – is it basically just – is it like rich betters that have done it for a while, like that you know just because they've built up a reputation? Is it like a group of people – um, like how do we like where is like the sharp database one and then two I mean in a year like this in the last two years with COVID how much how difficult is it for sharp money to be successful where you bet a you bet an advance line on Sunday night and then you get five guys or an entire running back room get knocked out of the game for COVID um, or even then with injuries where guys are non-practice Wednesday, non-practice Thursday, non-practice Friday, status is totally up in the air. And then boom, Saturday night, you're like, all right, they're expected to play. I mean, that's got to have like, that's got to have a big effect on sharp money. It does. I'll, you know, just to take that first, obviously with this whole COVID situation and just everything that's gone on, you can get beat. Like I've always said, it, it's hard to book these games as a bookmaker, but it's also hard to bet into these games because like you said, you might get the best number Sunday night, Monday morning, and then by Thursday, three skill players are out or a quarterback is iffy or just like you just don't know. I know a lot of the sharper players did really tread a little bit lighter this year and not really want to hop in right away because of that. You know, the public, once again, you know, when we deal with Vegas, obviously we have plenty of the people who live here and bet, but, you know, we're built on people getting here on Thursdays. 
you know, and they're here Thursday through Sunday. They're making their bets. So they don't get involved till late. And as far as like the sharp, it's not, you know, the guys who are just rich guys and can come in and put, you know, 50 grand on a craps table and then bet, you know, 11,000 to win 10,000 on NFL games. Those are more house players. Those are guys who come in. They like to bet NFL games. Like we don't consider them sharp players. Sharp players are people who have track records. They've been around for a long time. They've been around a lot longer than I've been. And, you know, the sharp player is a small group. I mean, they could probably fit in the back room of a casino. I mean, they really are. And then there are those, we like to call them the quote unquote betting syndicates that just have people where they have all their runners and they're out really spreading money around. So they're not linked to one specific person. But when you work at a sports book long enough, you know who they are and you know that a kid is a runner and he's coming in and he's making bets for a specific group. And you just, you just seem to like know it and see, you know, see what's going on with that. But yeah, the sharp betters are to me, the guys who just jump in on numbers early and they'll even jump on numbers. If, you know, let's say they take minus minus three, minus one ten. we move it to one fifteen, They'll still take it. Like, they are going to stay key to their numbers. If we move to 120, they might move off of that. Off of that, they don't. You know, they'll lay the three, but they don't want to pay the 120. So, mm-hmm. the sharp players are always disciplined. They're never going to take a bad number. Doesn't mean it always wins, but that the, the one thing you know about them is they're not going to take a bad number. Yeah, and that's a. I don't know how you feel about this specific guy. His name happens to be Sharp. Like you said, you've been on the ring. I'm not sure if you've ever been on with Warren Sharp. He talks about these groups yeah. a lot and how these groups move numbers and oh, this group I know moved really early on Sunday and then they actually moved off of it. And I'm yeah. sitting there as a, as a regular Joe, you know, listening on my commute in the morning and I'm thinking to myself like, man, they love this number at 41 and a half, but at 42, now they're, they're going the other way. They're heading it's out. A, yeah. It's, yeah, cr- it's crazy. It, it is amazing to watch. It really is like, like we just said, that half a point point is so like valuable to these betters and they're like I said, it doesn't mean that they got the right number or it's going to win, but they stay true to that. They're not going to budge. They're not going to say, well, we took under 42 and now it's 41 and a half. Well, we don't like it anymore. They're not going to do it. They just crazy. And that's why over the long term, the sharper betters are the winning betters. You know, a public better, a guy who just comes in on the weekend who let's just say he was at the Westgate and he bet under 42 and then, he went across the street to a Caesars property and he's like, well, it's 41 here. I'll just take it here too. So I have a ticket here. Like a sharp player is never going to do that. They're just not going to think that way. So it really is like the sharp players treated as a business. And when you have places in Vegas, Westgate is one of them. And there are a couple others that put at those early lines. Those early lines are the ones that get hit early and often. It's, it's a fascinating world that, you know, you want so badly to, peek behind the curtains and and know everything, but it's almost in some weird ways as a, as a pretty square guy over here, you know, it's kind of fascinating. It's like larger than life uh, movements happening behind closed doors in a way, even though it's like completely legal now. Is there yeah. such a, is there such a thing as like a, like, I, I think I would be like a sharp square, right? Yeah. Like I'm not, I don't like, I'm not like a, like a circle. sharp shark, but I feel like I'm a pretty like sharp square better. Is that, is that a thing? Is that a term that you guys have? That's how well, I I'll say this, Pat. I mean, you know, you guys who are younger than me, you've already learned, I, like we talked about teasers, you've already learned teasers are the way to go. Like it took me 10 years. Like it's like, if you can just establish in your mind, like a way to approach the betting. Yes. I do think 
Like we treat people as their general players, their BCU players who are kind of like board cleaner uppers. Like they'll just come in and kind of almost bet the board full. Not obviously every game. Then we have like B plus people. And then we just start moving up the line. Like you establish yourself after a long term, like right now, maybe you guys would be like B plus betters. Like you're not sharp yet, but you're also not a general player who are like, all right, we're not going to fear that person's action. And, and I'm telling you, a sharp player doesn't have to be a guy who's betting 100 grand a game. Like, mm-hmm. we track sharp betters who bet 110 to win 100 because sharp betters also will allow us to know if our number is way off. You know, if we look at a sharp better and they come in and they're peppering a number, like maybe we're like, okay, we made a mistake with our opening number. So like a lot of times a sharp player or a sharp group can be an indicator that maybe you're a little off in your initial line. That's interesting. So a guy who maybe, you know, isn't betting a $10,000 every game, you might be betting say a hundred, like you said, sure. All of a sudden now he has 500 on something. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. This guy's absolutely like 59% or something like that. Now he's putting five units on this. Like what's good. All right. What's fishy here. That's absolutely that's it is. And it, listen, in the end, Sports books are going to make money. We know that. It's just, you know, you always heard, you never heard, you never seen a bookie with a day job. It's just, yeah. when you're running a sports book, they're always going to make money. You can have bad days, bad weeks, of course. But yeah, we look at a guy. He might be bet, he might be a guy who bets 550 to win 500 across the board in college basketball. But we respect him enough as a sharp player in college basketball to say it's not about the amount of money he's betting, it's just us trying to get the right line because all we want is the equal action. That's all we want. We just want our 10% and we move on. So we go. definitely use all forms. of it. Just because a guy puts a hundred grand on the game doesn't mean anything to us. Wow. That's awesome. I think this is a perfect time to now get into some of that stuff. And when I, when now, when I bring up something like, Oh, there's 10% more cash than there are tickets on this one. I love it. Follow the money. And now I feel a little <laughs> bit crazy for saying that, but Hey, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Of how course. You, of course. How you doing? How you been? Right. <laughs> so let's start talking on subway sports talk. Arthur, the Caesar, Pat Boyle, Pete Kennedy about these wild card games. And uh, I guess we should just go in chronological order. And it just so happens that basically every game we have here is interesting. I would say, the least interesting is probably Steelers Chiefs. It's obviously a double digit number. It's 13 and a half right now, or sorry, I'm saying 12 and a half currently right now. Um, so maybe that's uninteresting, but it's still Patrick Mahomes. It's still the Chiefs and the Steelers. Big Ben's perhaps last game. So there's still intrigue there, right? There's still storyline, but we'll go chronological starting with the Saturday games. And that leads us to Raiders at Bengals. Uh, I'm seeing here on pregame.com an open of six. Now it's at five. Two teams that have, have have had very strange seasons, uh, one of which more obvious than the other, the Raiders with the Gruden and the Rugs and all the off-field stuff that went awry for them, still making the playoffs. The Bengals, a lot of feasts, a lot of famine with them. So, Art, first game off the board, when you think about these two teams that they're facing off now with their strengths and weaknesses, the big-time playmaking from Cincinnati, the pass rush perhaps of, of Vegas, is there something that jumps out to you in uh, the way these two teams match up? Well, when you look at the game, obviously where you guys are, it's not the home team. Where I am, Vegas is the home team. Right. Vegas always takes a lot of money. We take a lot of money on the Raiders. We opened the line at six and a half. It is now five. You know, the Raiders, when they went in like a swoon like four or five weeks ago, we actually started seeing people in town jump off the Raiders. They came back when they beat the Colts. They were in on them heavy last week against the Chargers. They're back in heavy this week. 
you know, the one and a half point line movement. And it's not just the public money. We've seen sharper money come in on the Raiders. The Raiders are an interesting schedule spot, though. You know, they played that late game Sunday, you know, fought out all, all you know, gave it all they got to win the game, make the playoffs, even though they could have gotten in with the tie. And Cincinnati rests everyone, and now they got to play the early game on Saturday. And we know the Bengals' history in the playoffs. I know this is a new group with Burrow, and they're building something new. But for us, we will be big Bengals fans this week because of all the money we've seen early on the Raiders. Interesting. So it's funny because it's the home team, but now yep. it's a team because they get so public that you almost have to become against, right? Even though they're in your backyard. I assume similar ideas on the Cowboys, uh, like teams like that. Is that is that fair to assess? Like those types of teams are always just going to be a little bit higher up? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I'll even take like the Knights. The Knights every evening here. Every night. <laughs> I mean, like if they're minus 200 in other places, they're probably 220 here or 230. Mm. because the Knights just take an incredible amount of money. The Raiders are no different. Obviously, the NFL has bet a million times more than the NHL. So the amount of Raider money that, we've, that we see, and that's everything across the board, season win totals, to win the division, win the Super Bowl. Win, I mean, God forbid the Raiders ever win the Super Bowl here. I mean, it's going to be ridiculous with all that type of money in the future book that we take. But week in and week out, we're normally, I would say in the 18 weeks, now it kind of went away for a couple weeks. Out of 18 weeks, probably 13 of those weeks, we're always rooting for the other team that's playing the Raiders. We just are. Even though we get a lot of the other team's fan bases here, there's just too many people who have adopted the Raiders here like they have the Knights, and it's the home team. They just want to put some money down on the home team and go to a Raider bar or a sports book and have fun. Yeah, now, Art, you know, just looking at this line, I know you said it was six and a half, a move to five. When you're looking at betting this, especially the spread, is there that awkward range where it's like four and a half to four to five and a half? Does that really, does that mean anything? Like, are those points valuable at all? Betting a game like minus four versus minus five and a half. Like we know the key numbers, the three and three and a half, yep. the six to the seven range. Does a five do anything for you really? I mean, I think a five allows you maybe to take it on the other side of a teaser and get to a point where now you can go through 10. Even though I've heard a million people say, you're only supposed to tease through the seven and the three. You don't want to tease up through the 10. I mean, I don't buy into that. I've had success going through 10. Um, you know, another point about this game is too, when they played this year, they played in Vegas. It was close in the first half. The Bengals pulled away late. I think they won by like 20 because they outscored them basically 20 in the fourth quarter. That game was a pick em and basically closed Bengals minus one. So the fact that the line is basically flipped seven points, like that's too much. Now you might've missed your best number with the six and a half. Now you're getting the five. And as we've talked about every point, every half a point or point is valuable, but you still can find some value probably with the Raiders teasing them up or listen, we're going to have plenty of people who take shots with them on the money line because this was a pick them game during the season. To me, I don't see why it's not still in that range. That yeah, that's it's crazy to think about that because what really changed about those two teams? Granted, that was and if anything, it would should it should almost go the other way, right? Because when that game took place, it was right amidst the Gruden stuff. It was right amidst a lot of off the field drama issues for Oak uh, for Oakland. Geez, for we just talked about the Vegas Raiders for ten minutes, and I just <laughs> called them the Oakland Raiders. Still, the Vegas Raiders, and uh, and yet still, it was just minus one at kickoff, and and yeah, it's really interesting that. 
a public team open that that big? Is it just simply you think the explosion of the Bengals offense that draws in so so much excitement? I think that has to play a role here because people who watch the Bengals uh, and then people who watch the NFL at large may see it differently, right? Like people who locked in on the Bengals all, all year long saw more struggles. They saw more ups and downs and turnovers and Joe Burrow getting hit and sacks. But if you watch Red Zone every week, or if you just watch uh, your fantasy team every week, you're like, yeah, the Bengals are sick. Like they're going to drop bombs on everybody. doesn't matter who they're playing and they're going to do it to the Raiders. In reality, the Raiders play a lot of tight games. Even when they have loot, like losses, they're, they're dramatic and they even win tight. So the fact that it opened six and a half, was that shocking to you? You kind of explained that already, but more so. It, it, it was. And I think it goes back to, Sometimes there's an overreaction in the number because of what we've seen the week before. Now, it was a little different this week because obviously the Raiders had to play tooth and nail to win the game, and the Bengals took the week off. But I think you said it. Talk about a narrative. Like, what's a more of a narrative than Joe Burrow and you know Chase are going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread through the air, and they've been wonderful. But I just look at it like these teams matched up. Nothing has changed really in personnel, and the game was a pick up. Like, it's an overreaction in number. I do think the Bengals should be favored. I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but it should be more in the traditional three. And then if money comes in, it should move to the three and a half. Like for it to be six and a half, this is where when the sharp money comes in, maybe our number was a little too high mm. and it's already moved a point and a half. Now at some point, I don't think it will ever get to four. That's a two and a half point move. That would seem like too much. But there probably will be some buyback now on Cincinnati at five because you're not laying the six and a half. So it, it could end up working out for us. But once again, we're, we're going to be Bengal fans on Sunday. There's no, there's just no way around it. Not only with the spread money with the Raiders, but the money line. People are going to take shots with the money line because it's the playoffs. Anyone can win these games. I mean, you know, maybe outside of that big double digit spread, like you said, these games are all tight and close. Yeah, now, Pat, anything that you see in this matchup here is, uh, from a schematic standpoint or injury, you know, who's in, who's out standpoint with uh, Vegas or Cincinnati, you know, two similar-ish teams. They like to throw the ball downfield. They like to rely on that pass rush. So so what do you think of in regards to uh, the actual matchup? Yeah, no, I think it's going to be um, <clears throat> imperative that Cincinnati does not fall in love with what has uh, work for them most throughout this year, and that's throwing the football. That's relying on Burrow to go over the top. You have a weak Vegas secondary who is now down Jonathan Abram, <clears throat> down uh, Trayvon Mullen. So the the desire for Zach Taylor and the Bengals to want to throw on them early and often is going to be there, but they have to stick to what works against Vegas, and that's there that they're a sieve on the interior defensive line. They can't stop the run. Mixon went 30 for 123 on them. In that first game, they leaned on the run early and often. If they do that again, they should walk out of here with a win. I worry, though, with the pass rush, with Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, that Cincinnati might try to get a little too pass happy. And then maybe you see Burrow drop back, strip sack, under pressure, maybe a pick. And then all of a sudden, the pressure's on, and Vegas is in this game, and they are live early and often in the first half in this one. And I think, you know, also, we talk about narratives here. Vegas is playing with house money, right? I think at this point, not to be too cliche, they're they're playing with house money, right? They six and seven counted out Gruden, Rugs, the whole entire thing. They've won four in a row, and they won some damn impressive games along the way in order to do that. 
you know, and, and now the win against Indianapolis doesn't seem all that fantastic because they just got their clock cleaned by Jacksonville. But at the time, tremendous win. They win the game against the Chargers to get into the playoffs. Uh, I think Carr is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, I, I think his leadership, his ability to, to lead game-winning drives, I think he's, what, 25 game-winning drives now in the fourth quarter over the, since he's entered the league. That's the most in the NFL. Um, I, I think Vegas has a tremendous shot at winning this game. You will see a, uh, a Patty B same-game teaser on this, uh, absolutely. But I think, you know, again, Vegas secondary is weak, so you can throw, but Cincinnati's got to be balanced. they got to run the ball at Nixon because that's their number one uh, chance of having success against the Vegas defense, which can't stop the run. So it sounds like we have some leans around here. It, 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 it does, right? But now my last question for you are on this game before we move to our next one, because you mentioned how much you love to tease, and obviously we're invested in that game as well. Pat already gave a little sneak peek. Is there a number here that you don't like to tease? Like is is like five maybe a number that's like off? Is, I shouldn't say five because that gets you to 11 and gets over 10. I don't know. Is there a number in general that you say like, I just hate teasing that number in either direction or something like that? Well, you know, that, that number normally like the five or the, even the four, four and a half, six, like a lot of people always say like, don't go over the 10. I, I don't personally believe in that. Right. Like I, I like to tease over the 10. Um, the guys who have been around and have done it for a long time, they're always going to tell you find the seven to eight and a half point game, right. tease it down to three, like just find that never tease through the zero. We've all heard that, but I don't know. I, I, you just have to find your approach. Like I've had success finding teams that are going to be plus now 10 and a half plus 11. So I don't, I, I don't buy into that. I don't believe in that. So I will find some value in that. I think the Raiders are great in the tease. I love it. Yeah. And, not, and not, I, right. uh, yeah. Just really quick too, Pete. I think now with, with, you know, how much flexibility you have too. Um, and I know our sponsor here, DraftKings. So, you know, obviously plug for them. Um, right. You can be flexible. Like if you only like, if like, for example, this game's five, I think this is a touchdown game. I only have to get two points, two and a half points on the on the spread. Whereas, like, okay, maybe I want a little bit more on the cushion on the over under. Maybe I want to bring the over under down seven, eight points, and only bring the spread down two or three, and you're still getting pretty pretty damn good odds, or vice versa. Mm, the little the little alt spread action. That's what we call the Patty Boyle teaser special. And you know, hopefully, some of our followers have caught along to that. We always try to say, yeah, this is not a, a pure six point teaser. I usually stay more true to the six point teaser just because my brain kind of functions with that still but i've been trying to adapt as well because if you only need to get the two and a half for a team why and it's you know five and a half you don't need to buy six it's not it's not like you said teasing to to plus 0.5 you know 99.9 percent .9 of the time that's not really doing much for you that extra half point so why not just tease it to one and a half two and a half i, I like where you guys heads at uh let's move on to our next game oh any last words Bengals raiders move on we're good all right so the third matchup this one is ultra exciting for so many reasons there's a lot of moving parts in this, uh, and not just with like injuries and COVIDs and whatnot. I'm talking about the weather is a moving part right now. It is going to be frigid. Apparently not much precipitation, but the weather keeps dropping, uh, at least the prediction for the weather in Buffalo. We know what happened in game one. We know what happened in game two. All right, we're talking about narrative here. Now this is a place where narrative combines with facts of what happened in game one and two and now a third matchup between these division rivals when you try to look at this game pats at bills currently uh sitting at bills minus four open there as well how much do you even want to look at those first two games or do you think maybe those might even just start clouding judgment 
I think they could. I'll say this. I have two futures in the NFL. I have the Rams 10-1 to to win the Super Bowl and the Bills 11-1 to to win the Super Bowl. So I'm going to adopt the Bills here. I'm a Giants fan. Obviously, they're terrible. They're out of it. So I'm adopting the Bills. I had them in the first game against New England. Didn't work out. Took them in the second game against New England. I think Buffalo's better. I just do. I just think they're a better team. This is going to be an interesting game. I think, without a shadow of a doubt, the public's going to be all over New England. They're going to see the four points. They're going to take them on the money line. There they will be some people who want to tease them to 10, 10 and a half, you know, six, six, seven point tease or whatever you're going to get them at. Sharper players normally, like four is a tough number. They, they'd rather be three or a little bit less, but I think this is going to be that divide. I think the sharper players are going to take Buffalo throwing the first game out of it because even with that first game, now Buffalo wouldn't have covered, but they could have won that game. Like New England threw three passes and didn't do anything in the game, basically besides a long run. You know, Buffalo missed a field goal. Like Buffalo could have easily won that game. And then the second game, to me, they dominated. They really went in and showed who they were. This was a team that was in the conference finals last year. We know how good Buffalo is. Buffalo was a early season. People liked them to win the Super Bowl. So... You know, the surprising thing was when we opened the total, that was 43, went to 44 and a half. It's come back to 44. So, like, the over money has come in where that to me was a little bit a little bit interesting. I could see this being more of a low-scoring slugfest type of game. But to me, this is Buffalo or nothing. I was actually with you on that. For, actually, I, I shouldn't say that. I uh, I actually correctly got both of those games. I took the Pats in that ugly one in the in this shitty weather. And then I was all over the bill. So was Pat. Pat money lined them up in that second game. Uh, and that was obviously a hit for all three of us. So shout out to us. Big tip of the cap. But it's hard to, to think about it now because you hear these, these reports. And I don't know if you guys heard this one. Diana Rossini came out that I know Ben Solak on The Ringer was talking about it like crazy with Josh Allen, like losing circulation in his feet when it's really cold. You guys hear about this one? Like Bart that- Scott? Yeah. About- <laughs> what he said? Bart Scott. <laughs> You got to shout out Bart Scott. If y'all didn't hear that, go to Twitter right <laughs> it's now. It's crazy. Type in Bart Scott, Josh Allen. The video will pop up. He says that Josh Allen needs some prescription help. Not prescription, over the counter. I can't yeah. even say. I've never bought, I never bought a Viagra <laughs> before, but Bart Scott saying Viagra will help the blood flow and get him going. Not just get him going, you know, halfway downstairs, but all the way downstairs in the toes. Get his toes tingling the right way. Crazy. Absolutely outrageous, but Bart Scott was being dead 100% serious. And yes, that was he was the greatest part about that segment. That was amazing. Um, so Pat, does that does that scare you? Does the, does the the feet circulation thing scare you with Josh Allen? Does this weather thing scare you? If you had to say this looks like game one or game two between these two teams, where are you going? Um, <clears throat> yeah, just just to go just to answer that first and foremost, no. Um, I know you played you played football. Um, in high school, you know, yeah. we both played baseball in college, especially in the Northeast, February games. It is cold as hell. Um, when the game starts, you, you're able to block a lot of the weather out just in terms of being hot or being cold, right? When these guys start moving and they get going and the heat of the game takes over, uh, it's going to be five degrees. It's going to be cold as hell, but it's not going to feel, you know, cold as hell. And yeah, he's going to complain about the circulation and his feet and his legs and everything. That's not going to prevent Josh Allen from running. And if Buffalo and, and Sean McDermott learned anything from the first time they played New England in the wind, in the rain, in the sleet, and whatever the hell else was coming down that night, uh, hopefully they learned that, yeah, Josh Allen has to run the ball 12 to 13 times 
um, in this game coming up on this weekend because he's their best running back. He's their best option with the ball in his hands at all times, throwing and running, keeping those linebackers honest, keeping, um, you know, Hightower and Van Noy and Judon, keeping them honest um, and having them maybe to have to spy every now and then instead of just straight coming through the gaps or stunt blitzes and things like that because if they don't contain Allen, he's going to flush out to the pocket and he's going to have one or he's going to have two options, throw the ball or run the ball every single time. So, no, I don't I don't think the weather is uh, just in terms of being cold is going to limit him at all. Um, you know, that being said, again, we go back to that first game. Great learning experience for for McDermott, right? Right. With And again, that's something I want to ask you to art here when I'm when I'm done with this point. Um but I think we you know everybody fell in love with New England when they went on the seven-game winning streak. They've obviously come back down to life since, losing to Buffalo, losing to Indianapolis, losing to Miami. And their defense, I think, has taken a little bit of a hit, especially because they got a bunch of guys that are banged up. And, you know, to go back to the point before we were talking about, I mean, everybody and their mother is on their injury report right now. Mm-hmm. Hightower, Christian Barmore, Lawrence Guy, Kyle Duggar, Jalen Mills. We'll see if he can pass the COVID test and play. Um you know, so again, I'm, I'm assuming most of those guys are going to play, but I just think Buffalo has has they hit that midseason swoon like the Chiefs did very early on. I think they've gotten back over the hump. I think they've gotten back to what's uh, what's working for them. And again, that's having uh, you know Allen be the dual threat that he is. I think the defense has been able to respond since they lost Tre'Davious White. The secondary, you know, other guys in that secondary have stepped up for them. And I just think New England kind of lost that they've they've lost that fire that they had in the beginning of the year. Now, again, the defense is good. They're going to come out ready to play. But I said it in, in, the, in the first game when they played each other. I've been saying it since, since everybody started jumping on New England. You get ahead of the Patriots early, they're a mediocre football team because they're not a team that's built to come from behind. Mac Jones, as, as good as he's played this year as a rookie, not built to win playoff games in January. He's not a guy that's going to throw 300 yards and win a football game. So if New England does not control the line of scrimmage early again, and they can run the ball five yards, five and a half yards a clip, they're going to lose this game. Their defense might keep it close for them. I think this number is pretty perfect, though, uh, at where it stands at four, where if you if you like Buffalo, it's enough to scare you because you think maybe New England could keep it to win a field goal game. But, um, you know, just going back to before, Art, you know, when we talk about how Belichick outclassed McDermott and it was a coaching masterpiece from Bill Belichick, how much does that play a role for you guys when you're setting a line, a coaching matchup? Maybe you have a Belichick versus a, an inexperienced head coach, even though the other team might be the, the better team on paper. It, it definitely plays a part of it. In the NFL, the only guys who really move numbers are quarterbacks. You know, even if a Aaron Donald is out or Christian McCaffrey is out or a Derrick Henry is out, they really don't move the needle as far as a point spread. A coach... Could he move a point spread? Sure. If it's Belichick against a guy who's never coached in a big game, yes, it could happen. I, It's not as pronounced as it would be if it's a quarterback. I do think the Belichick factor comes in. But I also think, too, like you said, you know, Buffalo went through their midseason swoon, but New England peaked too early. Like, And they also peaked against bad teams. Like In that 6-7 win streak, Like, who was their best win? The Chargers? I mean, they didn't beat Listen, you got to beat who's in front of you, but they didn't beat anyone good. And then when they started to play some good teams later in the season, they lost those games. I just, it would scare you. I agree that it's four and not three, and you could get, you know, you can get squeezed out with that field goal win. I just think Buffalo's better. I, I love that the line is four because to me, it really should be more six. 
if, mm. if I'm really being honest about it. I, I just think Buffalo's better. I totally agree. Mac Jones could have a great career. He could be, you know, on some great things. But for him to go there in January and win that type of game, I just don't see it. Buffalo has righted the ship, and I think Buffalo is ready to go on a nice little run. That, that you alluded right to my next question. That's perfect. And you know, the bell check factor is big, but on the other side of it is the rookie quarterback factor. And that's something that people aren't talking about a ton. Some people are saying it. We've obviously touched on a little bit. We didn't mention how Derek Carr and Joe Burrow are both in their first playoff games, but they're both a little more seasoned. They both have a little more pop when it comes to their passing offenses. Is there a, a maybe the the four is this like a respect thing to Bill Belichick, right? It's like a tip of the cap to Bill, like, hey, you're going to keep this one tight on your own. Is it, there an argument is. to be had that it's like, hey, yeah, Bill Belichick's this driving force this way. Mac Jones, rookie quarterback in the freezing cold, is a driving force the other way. Is there that narrative or is that a, a factor as well for you? I think it is. Like I said, if, if we were to put it at six, we would get nothing but Patriot money. There'd be no yeah. Bills bets. So, you know, I think us and setting be, it. That might be set, good in some it, ways too, right? Yeah, it, it could be. But obviously we want to try to balance the books as much as yes. we can. You know, we set it at three. We might not get a lot of buy on New England. The four number sits perfectly where there's still enough to entice you as a bill better. And there's still enough to entice you as a Patriot better. So I, I I know we're going to get that type of divide on it, but it's going to be all public money on new England. I, I I haven't seen or talked to a lot of the sharper betters or seen a lot of the sharper betters come in yet to want to take new England. I think if the sharper betters do play the game, they will play Buffalo or they'll just pass on the game. Hmm. And you know what? When uh, when the Bills win by four, exactly, we're all sitting here and shake our damn heads. That's what's going to happen. I'll tell you what. Uh, let's let's move on to our next game. We we we're feeling some leans though in those first two games. Let's see if uh, Sunday we get some leans out of the three of us as well. Because I I got to be honest, I was leaning Bills as well. Then with some of the narrative stuff that I heard and some of the breakdowns that I heard, I I didn't really second guess myself. So I'm kind of with you guys. I'm leaning towards the Bills. But anytime you have three guys on a podcast agreeing with each other, that's a recipe for disaster. So who the hell knows uh, what I'll make my pick for that one. But I'm, I got to lean there as well with Buffalo. Now, on to Sunday. The 1 o'clock window is Eagles at Buccaneers opened up in the teaser zone. You know, uh, Art, you were talking before about that 8 zone. That's 7.5, 8, 8.5. That gets you on the 6-point tees under 3. Vice versa, if you're plus 2, it gets you above 7 into that plus 8 range, right? So right in that teaser zone, when I first saw this number, my initial reaction, and I want you to tell me if this initial reaction is fair or a little silly. I saw minus eight. I was like, oh, snap. Vegas, quote, quote unquote, Vegas, the sports books, they're begging us to tease the Buccaneers. I'm taking the Eagles without any other thought about the actual game, about the matchup, about nothing. I just saw eight and a half, and I was like, they are begging us to go Bucks minus two and a half with some other leg uh, tagged along, I'm taking the Eagles. I'm not falling for the bait. Is that a crazy way to think about it, or is there something wise about it? I I don't think it's crazy, but it's this but is it's going crazy. to be the, no, it's not. I I'll say this. Obviously, you got to you got to put two legs together. But this is going to be the number one teaser leg of the week. There's no doubt about it. The yeah. fact that the line hasn't even wanted to budge off the eight and a half now. The two games that have the big point spreads, not a lot of people get in early on those games. They like to see if there's going to be some movement because they're such high point spread games. You know, underdogs have been really good in the wild card round. 
not only do they win a lot of these games, but obviously if you're winning the game, you're covering the game. And then even some of the teams that don't win cover the game. So there is an aspect to that. You know, the big movement in this game is Sharp Money drove it from 49 to 46, the total. And when that opened at 49, my initial thought was, well, if the Eagles have any chance, they got to do what they do and run the ball and keep the ball out of Brady's hands. And even if Tampa Bay wins, which I expect them to do, I actually like the under. Now you've missed the best of it. Like, yeah. it's gone three points. And, I mean, we're sitting here with a couple days left. I mean, that could move even another point. So I'm seeing 45 and a half right now, actually. Hey, there you go. I mean, so for us to already have moved three points on a total is pretty shocking because that's where most of the money is coming right away. There's been some teaser stuff, but there hasn't been a lot of side yet. So there really isn't like most people are on the Eagles or most people are on uh, the Bucks yet. We really don't have those kind of splits yet because people are scared to get involved with the big number. So I think what I just heard there is, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were saying the the over at 49 and a half, but the spread's eight and a half. The spread stayed the same, but now the total dropped, which would decrease the uh the likely uh you know victory margin of victory for tampa if if possible does that make any sense right so now that the total is lower would that give us reason to believe there's a better chance for the eagles to keep it in uh in that eight range and cover this one up well you know a lot of the times too a lot of people subscribe to the lower the total the more points you get you want to be involved with an underdog Mm. you know because it's now, 46 is still a nice number. It's not 38, but you're seeing people thinking it's going to be a lower scoring game. And if you can get eight and a half, eight and a half sets you up for a backdoor. It sets you up for a lot of things. And obviously, if you want to actually go and tease it through 14, you know, and make a 14 and a half, that really sets you up on that side. So I do think, I'll say this. So there were three sharp teams this year. 49ers, Colts, Eagles, sharp, sharp players and syndicates bought into them all year and bet them all year. So obviously you got two of them in the playoffs that people are going to be able to fire on. I just don't know if people are going to be able to get there with the Eagles, even the sharp guys who love them all year. The Eagles didn't beat a lot of good teams. Obviously we know how great Tampa is, but like I said, we just don't have the like handle on the game yet to really know which side is being pushed or which side is being leaned to and who we're going to be rooting for on Sunday. Mm. And and semi famously here, the Eagles did not run the ball in their first matchup against the Buccaneers. They didn't run the ball with the running back. I think it was until either the very end of the third quarter or the beginning of the fourth quarter. And sorry, Pat, if I just stole your thunder there, but then they started running the ball and granted the lead was pretty much in hand for Tampa. So did they care about stopping the run as much? Probably not. Uh, but now the Eagles are a completely different team. They run the ball with authority consistently now. And if they do, like you said, Art, drag out these drives and have a seven-minute drive and put points on the board, that drives to the under, that drives to the cover. So that those aspects lead you to believe the eight and a half um, on the plus side for the Eagles could be a, a nice play. Pat, what are you thinking about, about this whole matchup? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, you said they're, Tampa Bay is probably going to be like the most popular leg of a, of a teaser. I can already tell you, you are going to have millions of tickets. Tampa Bay minus two and a half, Chiefs minus six or minus six and a half, right? Like that is the number one option 100%. for everybody on Sunday and are saying, oh, how's it going to lose, right? <laughs> so, and and again, with, I mean, with good logical reason, it, it shouldn't. Um, 
You know, I, I, I think Jalen Hurts is, is mediocre at best. I think when you force him to throw the ball, especially under pressure, we saw him in plenty of games this year, two picks, can't throw, uh, can't make any accurate passes under duress. The Giants picked him off three times at MetLife. Um, I, I don't think his ability to throw the football under pressure um, warrants an NFL quarterback level. That being said, Pete, you said it. They have they trust the run game absolutely uh, 150% now to the point where they're running the ball 40, 45 times a game where they got into that winning streak where they're crushing New Orleans. They crushed the Jets. They beat Washington twice in a row. They crushed the Giants. Everybody crushed the Giants. Uh, but, again, we know that stylistically – this should not match up well against Tampa Bay because they're the number one or number two run defense in the NFL. They've got a, an incredible front seven, right? Like, how are you going to run the ball against, um, you know, Vita Vea, Golston, Sue, JPP, Shaq Barrett, which I'm guessing they're going to be playing this weekend. I don't see any uh, doubtful tags on them. I'm assuming they're both playing. So, again, just I, I just – I don't see them being able to score more than 20 points on Tampa Bay. That being said – the concerns with Brady and this offense are real. They've lost playoff Lenny. They lost Bernard. Ronald Jones probably not playing on Sunday. So you're looking at Keyshawn Vaughn and Le'Veon Bell um, to run the ball. And then again, no Godwin. Seal Grayson's probably not going to play. Uh, it's basically it's going to be Mike Evans, Gronk, and Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller. Uh, so Brady's going to have to, you know, again, Arians and Brady are, and, and Leftwich are really going to have to come up with a good game plan because uh, the Eagles' defense had, had carried them at times this year, the run offense and their secondary uh, with Slay. Um, so, you know, again, this is still to me, though, where a game where Philadelphia's got up, their offensive line has to play out of their mind. They've got to run the ball five yards a carry. Hertz has to not commit a single turnover. And uh, the defense is probably going to have to pick off Brady. Um, in Tampa Bay, still don't think it's going to happen. Um, again, I'd I'd love to, I'd love Tampa Bay minus two and a half as as leg one of a teaser, and yeah, I mean, yeah, again, I just that I was just a don't lot see of them being a- for the Eagles, you know. Yeah, like, this has to happen. This has to happen. I mean, and you know, things got to break right in these playoff games, but it's too much for them to overcome. It just is. Yeah, and I and I love the under too, right? Because you know, there I don't see them scoring a bunch of points. Uh, especially if they can keep it a close game in the first half, they're just going to keep running and running and running and hope that they can maybe get themselves into some manageable field goal positions. Maybe they can kick a couple field goals in the first half um, and maybe you know, play the field positioning game. Um, but then Tampa Bay too, you know, with the guy with the receivers they're missing and the running backs they're missing. Um, and Philadelphia's defendants, they're going to try to lean on their defense to keep them in this game where maybe you're looking at a 10 to seven or 10 to six halftime score. So I, I love that. You know, there's no no surprise to me that the over under has come all the way down to 46 and it might drop to even like 44 and a half. Yeah. You know, Tom Brady's used to playing with an unstacked deck. Like he's used to not having skill players and getting it done. And it, the thing about the under too, which I also think added to the, the heavy influx of money early on that is, yeah, the Eagles want to run the ball and take long drives to score. The Bucks likely without Godwin and Antonio Brown and, and, you know, really just Gronk out there and a couple other guys they're likely going to have to nickel and dime their way down the field, and they might get some long drives of their own. Keyshawn Vaughn, if, if Fournette's not playing, which I think he still might technically, uh, Vaughn, if he's playing, man, like his receptions over is uh, something to look at, right? Because if it's at four and a half, he might have five in the first half. Like that could be the type of game we get into where it's nickel and dime, nickel and dime. I think the weather's going to be crappy down there in Tampa on Sunday too. So the leans on the first two games are a little more clear out of the three of us. 
I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do it just based off pride alone. I'm not taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down to two and a half. I think I'm going to probably take the Eagles plus eight and a half. And if, if, and when I do that, if I put one unit, my normal one unit on eight and a half, I'm putting a half unit on the Eagles money line, baby. Come on. Let's wow. a little, little so you, just a little sprinkle, just a little sprinkle here. It's, it's you think, sprinkle. so you it's think an NFC, baby. you think an NFC East, uh, an NFC East team for the second straight year covers the spread and gives Brady and the bucks at least a little bit of trouble here for the second straight year. I do. I really do. And it's like, like you said, the Eagles have their butts. So the bucks have their butts too. And I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be, you know, if the Bucks end up going on a run, will I be shocked? Absolutely not because of Tom Brady and the establishment they have there and the defensive uh, firepower up front. But if they struggle in the first game, I will not be shocked because they are the type of team that will get better as time goes on rather than being sharp right now because they haven't shown sharpness very much. You know, they beat up on the Panthers, but, you know, I don't know if that's if that's saying much there. So I'm sprinkling, man. I'm sprinkling the Eagles, and I might, you know, eat crow on that one. But it's a it's a risk I'm willing to take. I said I did a little PSA on Instagram in my sixth slide of uh, my picks last week, and my point was like, listen, all you people in New York out there who are downloading DraftKings and the Fanduels and the whatnots, and your first time on these sports book, I was like, please don't go crazy in Week 18. You know, most of these games don't matter. The ones that do matter only kind of matter, and the ones that really matter, you still don't really know, right? So just don't go crazy. Don't kill yourself in Week 18. Save it to get crazy in the wild card weekend. And I'm taking my own advice. I didn't go crazy last week. I might just have to get a little crazy right now. Let I'm me taking- ask you this, Pete. Do you, do you actually believe that the Eagles can beat Tampa Bay? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm putting money on it. It might be it might be 10 bucks, but I'm doing something. I'm taking my valuable balance. And I say this all the time. I'm not a big time better. I don't put freaking crazy money on anything. I'm, I'm sprinkling. I'm sprinkling a little action on the Eagles money line. Because then, if they do win, I can be like, "Yeah, I'm out here, baby." And yeah, you know, you know the crazy thing. There's a, between every single week, there's a huge spread, and you always get like, you get like a couple people that are like, "Hey, watch this, watch, watch the Giants are gonna beat, watch the Giants are gonna win this game." I yeah. told you so, and then it's like they get demolished. But yeah. then you have, and you have like a couple other people say, "Watch this team's gonna win." But you usually will have like one person a week that you hear bring up a game. And you're like, "Hey, dude, this team's gonna lose." And then it actually does happen. So I wonder if you're going to be the one whose advice we should be heeding here. I mean, I just, I don't see it, dude. I don't see how Philadelphia runs the ball with success. Super Bowl hangover for, for Tampa. They're all banged up. I mean, there's a lot of things going against them right now. There's a lot of things. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just saying. I just think when you, I, I'm not, I, I'm never going to trust Jalen Hurts in, in a playoff game. I've trusted him a, a handful of times this year and I've been crushed by it. And maybe that's why. Maybe it's because yeah. I got the right. That's like that's one of the worst things you can do, right? Art, you get emotional over a team you've bet on mm. or against in the past. You can't 100%. do that. Hundred percent. I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I do it. And all I'm the doing time. the opposite. I bet Listen. the Eagles successfully this year, so maybe I'm doing the opposite bet. I'm gonna lose a different way. I've played in all these like super contests for the last ten years living in Vegas. You know, you make up five picks a week against the spread, and once a team kind of like. They kind of buck me one week. I'm like, I just like, they're on my radar the rest of the year. And if I bet on them, I lose. If I bet against them, like, it's just, you do, you do get that in the back of your head. They're like, this team is sticking to my craw. And it's, it's a bad, it's a bad thing to be in, but it happens, man. We're all human. Yeah. That's, that was the Cardinals for me for the first half of the year. And then I was like, I'm not betting the Cardinals anymore. I'm not even touching them. Uh, and then actually I got, I got them against the Cowboys. I picked the Cardinals for the first time all year. 
and I was losing on him. I was like, you know what? It's time to get back on the wagon. I took the Cardinals. Finally, it worked out. But speaking of the Cardinals, oh, wait, no, we're not there yet. Speaking of the Cowboys is what I meant to say. That is our next game on the slate. Cowboys at home, 49ers on the road, minus three. One of those games, again, where, you know, even though the 49ers are kind of the hot team, people are talking about them. Can they make a run? Can Jimmy G, you know, solidify his role as the franchise quarter uh, quarterback and cornerstone? Yet, Art, the line opened at three. The line is still at three. The uh, the over-under is 50 and a half. It's 51, so not a lot of movement there either. This is a stalemate in a lot of regards. Is there a way for you to look at this one, you know, out of the from uh, outside the box a little bit here uh, that makes you lean in any direction? Or is this one of the things that's going to fall into your teaser bucket because that three number is just scary? It is. There, you know, there's a lot of things on this game. The way this game sets up for us in Vegas – being the 130 Vegas time slot on Sunday, and it's the Cowboys and it's the Niners when we get a lot of California influx into the sports books on a weekend. This is gonna probably be the most bet game of the weekend for us. We're gonna take a ton of action on the game. Cowboy games, obviously, that's just the way it is. But you know, we have been at three, but now we're at three minus 120. So if you want to come in on Dallas, you're gonna pay the 120. We haven't wanted to move off the three yet. We've already talked about the Niners being a very sharp team for the sharp betters all year. We know the second we move to the three and a half, the Niner sharp betters jump right in on them. It has been mostly Dallas money so far. You know, we opened our total at 49 and a half, and then we went to 51. So we've seen some pretty good over money come in. So, you know, for us, I think in the end, we'll probably need the Niners because it's just, it's the Cowboys and they're in a playoff game. The only way I could get involved in this is taking the Niners in a teaser. That's just, I believe in the Niners in a teaser. The Niners are better in an underdog role than they are in a favorite role. I just think the way the Niners played the last nine, 10 games of the season, they have a real shot in the game. And, you know, when you get nine in a teaser, it's great. I, I just, that's the only way I can lean in the game. Total, I have no opinion on. I just, I know for us as a sports book, we're going to be big Niner fans. And something interesting about the breakdown of this matchup is how these two styles match up. So the defensive backfield has been a big talking point for the Dallas Cowboys with all the turnovers that they've created and, and Trayvon Diggs for all the interceptions that he has himself that for every interception tweet for how good of ball skills Trayvon Diggs has comes another tweet reminding us all that he's also given up the most yards this year, right? That's mm. something that has been a narrative. I think since like week five or six, the Cowboys haters come out and say, oh yeah, his interceptions are real cute. He also gives up the most yards in the league, right? And that's something that we've heard about a lot. And the one thing that goes into the 49ers favor, and Pat, I'm curious to hear your take on this, is that the 49ers don't really attack down the sideline like so many other teams do. And that's where Trayvon Diggs wins a lot of those jump balls and you know finds his way to find interceptions. They attack the middle with George Kittle and Debo Samuel and that run game. So it's a completely different aspect from playing, not that the Cowboys would be matched up against the Bengals, but just to use them as an example, where they're attacking the sidelines down the field all day with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. That's not the Niners' game plan. They're trying to get inside. The Cowboys crush tight ends who split out a lot, but they don't do well against tight ends who are lining up again, uh, with the line of scrimmage uh, more frequently. And that's what Kittle does. He's inside, he's run blocking, and then he's all of a sudden he's getting 
busy in the middle of the field. So in that regard, that kind of leans towards a 49ers favor here if Jimmy G can avoid the big mistake. So, Pat, when you hear something like that from a matchup standpoint, does that make you feel better about the Niners or are you not buying it? Um, I would love the Niners if I hadn't been watching every single one of their games now for like the last four or five weeks, um, whether it's uh, Red Zone or Reddit streaming their actual broadcast. I've been very interested in how they have finished this year, um, you know, basically starting with that overtime win against Cincinnati, right? Because that was six and six. They had gone on a little bit of a hot streak. Then they lose on the road to Seattle when Seattle's in the midst of their funk. Uh, they crush Atlanta, tight loss to Tennessee, which was a great game and then beat Houston and finish with the overtime win against the Rams to get in. And at this point, you know, they're, they've been one of the hottest teams in the NFL. Started 3-5, and 7-2 and two to finish the year, like Art said, over the last nine games. Um, they're going to be, you know, they're, they're a good bet to keep a game close. But like I said, I've watched a lot of the games, and I've seen Jimmy G. He's got the happy feet. Um, I saw it a lot against Tennessee. He is not comfortable in the pocket. And – when he goes through his first two progressions and Samuel or Kittle aren't open, whether it's like a soft zone underneath and they're taking a while to get their routes run, or if it's tight man off the jump, he does not look good. And especially, you know, again, the thumb thing, not a not a huge deal as to what everyone make it again made it against LA. Like I know people's like, oh, the guy can't even throw the football. He's obviously totally fine for the most part throwing the football. I just think if Dan Quinn schemes this game correctly. And they're able to play zone defense where they're able to hold those zones long enough to the point where he's got to wait for those guys. He's got to wait for Kittle. He's got to wait for Ayuk. He's got to wait for Samuel to finish their routes before he can get rid of the football. And if Dallas can get some semblance of a pass rush, and here's the thing, the X factor in this game for me, uh, this is why I'm not going to bet this until probably 3 o'clock on Sunday if Trent Williams plays the left tackle. If he's out again on Sunday, Dallas is going to have a whole lot of an easier chance getting to Jimmy G, especially from the blind side. Um, and to me, a lot of the things adding up and what I've seen from Garoppolo lately, look, again, I'm asking him to prove me wrong. You know, he proved a lot of people wrong getting to the Super Bowl two years ago. Um, I just – I think he's he's prone to, to make a big mistake or two on Sunday. Um, and, again, Dallas's defense, yeah, they give up chunk plays. They give up chunk yardage. But they're also lethal when they smell the blood in the water. That's why they've had so many turnovers this year. That's why Diggs has been – has gotten so much praise. And now, like you said, some – subsequent pushback. Um, but again, I, I think if, if Dan Quinn can scheme this right and they are able to run some, um, some good, uh, you know, like fake bluff zones and fake blitzes and get coverage and get pressure from the outside, I think Garoppolo probably tosses two picks and the Cowboys defense does enough to hold San Francisco off the scoreboard. Hmm. Even though Dallas's offense, we know we've talked about them being a juggernaut all year. Uh, San Francisco's defense is no joke. They're going to come ready to play. Um, so I, w I would probably like the under in this one. Um, but, yeah, I just I, I don't think I can bet San Francisco. For me in this one, it would be Dallas or nothing. Now, Art, I want to ask you a question about that because Pat just talked about the offense for Dallas. How do you guys handicap Dak Prescott right now? Because if you look at the whole season, he had a stretch where he was off the charts in the beginning, and it was like, all right, Dak Prescott's an MVP candidate. Then it was injury, when's he coming back? All right, he's back. He doesn't look that good. Now he looks better. Then he had some games where he was kind of in no man's land, some good numbers, but it didn't look or feel exactly right. Then he had some good closeout games that may, may or may have not have mattered too much. When you look at Dak Prescott right now, are you feeling any sort of confidence in him or how to, to bet him 
because it's really been a weird season for Dak and the Cowboys offense. It has. The other thing you want to throw him at the Cowboys too is McCarthy can be brutal as a head coach, you know? So you got to throw that in there. Um, You know, we treat Prescott as a top 10 ish quarterback. Obviously he has his moments. He obviously hasn't had the great playoff success yet, but we also just treat Dallas as one of the two or three teams that are just so public that you're just going to take money. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. I mean, it really doesn't for the most part. The Dallas fan base is going to come in. They're going to support their team. This number could be seven. They're going to bet the cap. It just doesn't matter. Like, we just know there are some teams that doesn't matter what we set the line at. I mean, Steelers kind of can be that way. Green Bay's got a lot of that. I mean, there are just some teams that take that. So Dallas is one of them. Dallas is probably the number one team in that regard. But, yeah, we don't look at Prescott as a bad quarterback. I think, you know, if you talk to the guys in the risk room and everything and what they see as far as how they're following their power ratings and everything, they would probably put Prescott in that 10-ish range. Yeah, I think that's fair, right? Somewhere in in the middle. He's not quite proven to have been that top five guy where we thought he was getting there. We thought he was up there for a second, and then it just didn't happen. So uh, I'm I'm interested. This one is one where I'm not feeling I'm not feeling one way or the other just yet. I heard all this stuff. I was like, oh, I think I like the 49ers. Then I was like, Dak's gonna win a playoff game at some point. Dak is going to win and make a run in the playoffs at some point. He's too good. He is that top ten at minimum caliber quarterback. And this could be that time where maybe it's tight and maybe that's why the number three scares me so much, but I'm with you, Pat. I'm waiting on this one. And granted, I can't wait because we're making our picks. I got to post them tomorrow, but uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll uh, reconsider on Sunday and see if I could make the best play. But right now it's a tough one. Let's move on Sunday night. We've got two more games to talk about. We don't want to spend too much more time. We got to get out of here at some point, but we got two more games. I imagine this one is going to be one we talk about the least. And that's just because it is the biggest spread. It's a tough one to handicap um, because Big Ben has looked so bad, but also their defense has some juice and they tend to just somehow put points on the board. Doesn't really make sense though. It's really ugly to watch. I don't know. Uh, the number, was it too big, not big enough for you, Art? Like it, anything to do with Big Ben's comments about we're not supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, it's all, you know, icing on the cake at this point. Who cares? Like, it was just a weird vibe with the Steelers right now. What do you even make of this? Is, is the number right? 12 and a half now? It, it's funny too. He said in, in like back-to-back statements, well, we're a two touchdown underdog. And then he's like, we're 20 point underdogs. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just like funny to hear him say that. And it was like, I like that. He was like aware of the spread, which is great. Cause players I've always known are aware of the spread. There's no doubt about it. And especially now when, you know, it's all over the place, but it was just funny to hear him say that. We talked about the teaser liability. This is going to be the other one. Chiefs are going to be big teaser people. They're going to be the icing or sprinkling on the money line parlay, which is not going to add a lot to somebody's, but the recreational better doesn't get that. They're going to lay the minus 1100. You know, they're going to just say, oh, let me sweeten the pot a little bit. So the Chiefs, the, the, I'll say this the Steelers will end up being our biggest need of the weekend, I believe, because. It's just going to break that way with all the money lines, all the bets that will come in, and all the teaser liability. Right now, this probably has taken the least amount of handle because, A, it's the worst game of the weekend. It's the biggest spread of the weekend. We've talked about how underdogs do pretty well in this round. Steelers are a public team. They take a lot of bets. 
people haven't wanted to get in yet. And, you know, the Chiefs have that last two years. Yeah, they've won back-to-back AFC championships, but they don't cover a lot of numbers. So I know they kind of figured it out a little bit this season towards the end. They were they were doing all right, but this is a big number. I Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say I would take the Steelers, but <laughs> I, I really could see the Chiefs just blowing them out and just, you know, maybe Pittsburgh emptied their tank the last two weeks and finally got in and did everything they could for Ben, and they go to Arrowhead on Sunday and get annihilated like they did like a couple of weeks ago. It could easily happen. Right now, the least amount of handle is on this game, but in the end, we will need the Steelers, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, Big Ben, Pat, like, come on. What do we got? You got anything? Like, I mean, I've been shitting on Big Ben all year long. <laughs> <laughs> shitting on him all That's, year long. Love it's it. so painful to watch them play offense in the first three quarters. Then somehow in the fourth quarter, he's making some good throws, and then Deontay Johnson drops one. You're like, ah, he could have – they had, a, they had a chance, and then Chris Collinsworth is out here saying, oh, Big Ben, man, he is tough. Like, it's just – I don't even know what the hell's going on with their offense, man. Talk no, to me. I mean, Tom, Tomlin deserves a coach of the year, like, every single year that uh, – for the last, like, four years running. The fact that he got this team to nine wins and should have been ten. Should have been ten. Watching that slop fest of an overtime game with them in Detroit. Oh, they God. should have been ten and seven. The, the fact that he got them to nine wins, uh, to me, is, is you know, short of a miracle. Um, but again, yeah, they're going to need, uh, their defense to score points, right? Like this is a game where maybe if you want to bet it, maybe you bet Pittsburgh Steelers, anytime touchdown defense, special teams, and then you hope Mahomes, uh, throws a pick six to, uh, to Minka Fitzpatrick or, or Cam Sutton, or that, you know, you could get a, um, you get a TJ Watt strip sack run back for a touchdown because I don't see. And again, Kansas City's defense was the laughing stock of the NFL in the first few weeks. And then Spags like finally like fucking woke up and he's like, Oh my God, like my job's on the line. Let me start actually like doing my homework. And they they've stepped up since. And you know, again, not saying that their defense is all pro now. Like Pittsburgh can run the ball with success. Um, and that maybe then sets up some play action shots for Ben to find Deontay Johnson, to find uh Claypool. And again, they've used Pat Fryermuth a lot in their passing game, which has proven to a lot of success. And Kansas City's not necessarily one of the best teams at defending the tight end. So look, Big Ben's terrible. They are going to have some spots to score some points. And it's going to come down to whether or not their defense can keep them in this game. And that's maybe how they probably do cover. Like 12 and a half, I would not be surprised they they cover this game, lose by 10, where they're never really in it um, from the like midway through the third quarter on. But like they do enough just to where like they have that drive where they're like they're got they got inside the red zone and it's like a seven point game. And you're like, holy shit, Pittsburgh has a chance to, to maybe tie this game up. But I don't think Kansas City's really going to ever be in serious jeopardy here in this one. Again, I wouldn't be surprised Pittsburgh covers the 12 and a half, which is why, like I said, you're going to have millions of tickets, rightfully so. You'll have a Tampa Bay minus two and a half. You'll have a Kansas City minus. I always like to go minus five and a half just in case you ever get a six point win. Um, whether it's, you know, whether it's inexplicably ever in overtime, um, or if it's just, uh, you know, roll the dice with how the scores work out, you got a couple of field goals. So you will most likely, you will 99% see Tampa Bay minus two and a half, Kansas city minus five and a half from yours truly here come Sunday. (laughs) I love it. I mean, it's, this is why we love the NFL because we're, we're all three of us. We're all sitting here saying, Big Ben, man. Oh, it's ugly to watch. You know, wish him well. He had a great career. Tip your cap. Get out of here, bro. We don't want to watch you play quarterback anymore. But there's this like 
bizarro world where everybody believes the Chiefs are better. They are better. And yet we're we're here saying, well, you never know. Like maybe, yeah, maybe something happens. Maybe Pat Mahomes throws three picks and then it's a freaking nail biter. Like that's the NFL in a nutshell. It may out of 10 times go Chiefs blow out eight out of 10. But that's not how the NFL works, man. So you can feel good about it. And that's why, again, I've talked about this all year. You have to trust the process. Now it's the playoffs. You still want to stay true to that process. You can't bet hoping for a one-off. That's that's not going to work out in your favor more often than not. But if you're going to throw away some money, you might as well burn it on uh, what Pat said. I love that idea. If you're going to take the Steelers and burn your money, might as well take them on a defensive touchdown and try to double up. Maybe maybe you get that and, and they lose anyway, but who, who the hell knows? Um, all right, last game. This is perhaps the hardest one to, to actually figure out who the hell is playing well or who is actually important right now or who's the better team. I don't even know how to start with this, but it opened at three and a half, which is a key number, and now it's at four. We talked about the four number uh, earlier with the Pats' bills. Our Cardinals have had their woes. The Rams have had their woes. Those woes only equaled, you know, four or five losses for the whole season, but there's still not a lot of confidence in either one of these teams. What do you make of it from your Vegas angle here where, you know, these are two fan favorites, if you will. I know Pat had the Cardinals all season long as a team to look out for, and he was right all along. But now we sit here wildcard weekend, and I don't, I don't hear anybody talking about either team with confidence. So what the hell is going on with Cardinals at Rams? It's a tough game to figure. Obviously, a divisional game. These two teams are going to know each other really well. We actually opened the game Rams minus four. It actually went to four and a half. We saw some good buy on the Cardinals at four and a half. Going back to the four, when it went back to the four, we saw some good Ram money. This is the most split game of the weekend so far. We've seen good money on either side. I think it's because you can make a case for both teams. I know there's a couple other games where you can make a case for both teams, but I think this one is the like staple of that. Like You could sell me on either side. I already said I got a Rams future ticket for them to win the Super Bowl, so I'll be pulling for the Rams. I, I mean, I think the Rams have more talent, but I, I don't know. And, you know, the Cardinals have been good on the road, and they won, I think it was week four, which was a million years ago when they went into L.A. and basically buried the Rams, and that kind of put them on the map. But... You know, Arizona's 8-1 and on the road, so they've been better on the road than they've been at home. I don't know. I think push come to shove, I would take the Rams. I don't think this is a game I'll get involved in. It just scares me in just too many ways. I think maybe if I got involved, I would take, like, the Rams in a money line with maybe, like, Buffalo and try to get, like, plus 120 out of it, something like that. But right now, this game scares me too much, and it's the game I'm having the hardest time figuring out what to do because there's been no, like, all right, the Sharps are here, or it's too much public money here. It's just, it's been split down the middle. So on those games, sometimes it really is a flip of the coin. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say real quickly, how much stock do you put into a team being good on the road or good at home? Like Arizona has been probably one of the most polarizing teams. Eight and one, like you mentioned, on the road, three and five at home this year. How much stock do you put into them, them being on the road this this game, considering they've had so much success away from home? I think you've got to put some stock into it. I also think factoring in that it's the Rams and it's that L.A. stadium, that L.A. fan base. Yep. I know the Cardinals don't have a fan base like the Cowboys or the Packers or the Steelers. they got a billion fans, but the Arizona fans will travel to that game. Why wouldn't they? You know, the L.A. fan can be kind of flaky, might not want to make the game. It's Monday. 
Maybe that's a weird thing. So I think you got to put a little bit of stock into it. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think for me, this is one of those games where it almost depends on how Saturday and Sunday goes to see how I then react for Monday. And that sounds maybe negative in the in the sense that, oh, it sounds like, oh, I'll be if I'm down, I'm gonna chase and do something crazy. That's not exactly what I mean, but depending on how you feel, you you kind of build confidence over a week, right? If you're hitting on a couple games and your your thought process was right and you're feeling like the way you thought about the playoffs was accurate. Maybe then how you felt, but you didn't feel strongly on Thursday, Friday now feels a little bit stronger on Sunday night and Monday all day. So that's something that I'll probably look at. And I'm I'm like, I'm so torn really with this game, just like you guys, because the Matt Stafford side of things, mm. they get rid of Jared Goff. It's all this talk about how Jared Goff was holding the Rams back. And now they go get Stafford. He's the guy. He's going to change the whole entire script for the Rams. They're going to be a Super Bowl contender. I too have a future on the Rams to win the Super Bowl, just like you are. And then it didn't work out the way they expected it to throughout the entire season. There was a lot of turnovers and sloppy play for Matt Stafford, a lot of booming plays too, and a lot of Cooper Cup, obviously, uh, that worked out just fine for the Rams. There's now a, 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 a thought out there that I've been having all year about Sean McVay. He's supposed to be this young, innovative coach who is pushing the game forward and making it a more efficient, more exciting offensive game. And all his disciples are out there getting head coach jobs and doing pretty decently. Cliff Kingsbury being one of them who people joke, oh, he had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. He got the head coaching job in the NFL, right? So now McVay has his guy. And if they don't win a game in the playoffs, all of a sudden it becomes McVay. What happened, bro? You have your guy and you don't even go as far with Matt Stafford as Jared Goff. And you're running the ball with Sony, Sony Michelle 20 times a game for three and a half yards of carry. Like, are you actually that dude? Are you that coach? And that narrative, it scares me because I don't know if that's a reason to say, oh, I'm buying low on McVay. These little hate is coming out. I think he's going to come out and the Rams are going to be great. Or do I agree with that? Because I've, I've been frustrated by them. I'm not going to lie. If either of you guys have thoughts on that, you know, the, the efficient way to play football is to run plays that get you the most yards, right? A lot of times, uh, yards per play are better when you're passing the ball. Yet, they still are just running the ball with Michelle and not, well, Cam Akers is back now. We'll see how much more uh, involved he is in the playoffs here. But it wasn't successful, and it was putting Stafford in these uh, unadvantageous situations where he's throwing from third and long so often, and we all know how that can go. So I- I'm I'm real torn over here. Does anybody have anything on some sort of direction in the McVay-Stafford landscape of the Rams and and their success or lack thereof. Yeah. I just think when you like, when I look at this game and I try to analyze the, how they're going to match up systematically, schematically and all that stuff, like I'm, I'm getting a fucking hard on thinking about it because <laughs> I think in a coaching matchup, this is my favorite matchup of the week. You met, you mentioned they know each other. Well, divisional matchup. I think if Matthews, Matthew Stafford doesn't have to do a whole lot in this game outside of either get the fucking ball to Cooper cup and let him get yak yards or just turn around and hand the ball off to Sony Michelle and Cam Akers. He should not have to do a whole lot more than that. And we've seen him try to go outside of that, try to throw the long the bomb to to Odell or Van Jefferson and get picked off um, because he either overshoots it or he just throws it hoping he's going to get pass interference and he ends up throwing it in the double coverage and he gets picked off. So the only way that the Rams, to me, lose this game is if Matthew Stafford throws them out of it. 
right? Like they're going to be good enough to run the ball against Arizona's front seven, which isn't that strong, especially since they lost JJ Watt, Zach Allen's banged up. Jordan Phillips is banged up. And again, if you get those crossing routes that McVay has, you know, made an entire career out of already and gotten hundreds of guys jobs from already, you get Cooper cup going across the middle. Odell Beckham across the middle, Van Jefferson, Ben Skoranek, Notre Dame guy. You get Higby into the action. Like you got guys going all over the place. There's too much for Arizona to deal with that. I think, but then again, you get Vance Joseph's going to try to counter that with that, you know, the, the, the nickel four, two, five, where he's got the two linebackers stuffed in the a gap where he's either bringing them up the middle or he's, or he's fake blitzing and having them drop back in coverage. That being said, their linebackers cannot keep up with the Rams with the Rams receivers, especially with the schemes that McVay loves, the short crossing routes over the middle, right? Like Chandler Jones, stud at getting to the quarterback. Marcus Golden, great at getting to the quarterback. Those guys can't, can't defend in, in pass coverage. Jordan Hicks and Isaiah Simmons can't defend the pass. They're good run stoppers. So if Arizona can blow L.A. off the line of scrimmage and get Stafford under pressure, awesome. Rams have a, have a very good offensive line, so I don't see them getting dropping him four or five times in this game. So they're going to have to rely on those linebackers to drop back and pass coverage at times, or they're going to have to rely on their secondary to be fantastic. Their secondary is not that great, so Joseph's probably going to play a bunch of cover two, um, cover two across the middle or cover two man or cover three, and he's going to have Buda Baker basically just sitting out over the top hoping that Stafford tries those long balls that he can draw it, go ahead and pick off, and you can end a Rams possession with an interception. Um, again, the Rams, they get the run game going here early. That makes it that much easier then for Stafford to go off of that with the play action and be successful and pick apart them for 12, 14 yards at a time with Cup. Um, and again, I just think when you look at Arizona, losing uh, DeAndre Hopkins to me was the kiss of death, right? Because now you get Jalen Ramsey doesn't have to match up with DeAndre Hopkins. Now he gets to match up with Christian Kirk. I don't think he's, he's not going to match up with A.J. Green. He's going to match up with Kirk. You take him out of the game, and now you got Kyler Murray having to rely on A.J. Green and Rondell Moore, who is questionable. Uh, I think you, one guy in terms of a player prop standpoint that I love is Ertz because I think Zach Ertz is going to be open all day over the middle, uh, little hitch routes, little slant routes, stick routes. I think Zach Ertz probably catches eight balls for like 90 yards in this game and maybe a touchdown because, again, Ramsey's going to take away Kirk. And I, I think, too, you know, as much as I like Kyler and I thought he was going to have a, an MVP caliber season, um, he's had a lot of shortcomings at the end of this season. He has uh, He's proved that, um, you know, he's not as elite as I thought he was going to be taking a big step forward this year. So I think the Rams, they lie on the, the secondary. They rely on Ramsey. They rely on the run game if they play it smart and they don't have Stafford throwing the ball 30, 40 yards in the air, hoping that it doesn't get picked off because it probably will if that's the, if that's the game they want to play. And Art, just to give you a little background on Subway Sports Talk over here, before the season, our preview podcast, Pat came out and said the Cardinals are going to be a juggernaut and they're going to the NFC Championship. So it's been an ongoing thing on this pod, you know, keeping in check with the Cardinals and you've I'm been abandoning on, it. you, yeah, I'm shocked right now. Like I am shocked that you're abandoning it right now, but Hey, you're not a type of guy who's going to take data and throw it out the window. You're going to take it and you're going to re reevaluate. I'm, I'm saying shout out to you for taking that. Um, I, I, I'm a little shocked here though. All right. Last thing on this game, then we're going to say good night here. And thank you so much for spending all this time with us hanging out. Kyler Murray, the, a lot, a lot of the talk about him in particular is is he willing to run the ball when he's not fully healthy? Is he willing to take hits when he's not feeling 100%? And no one's feeling 100% at this point in time. 
and, and I don't know if you want to take it to a player prop perspective or back to sides and totals, um, but that part of the story with Kyler Murray and his stature and his quote unquote toughness, not that he's not tough, but you, you know what I'm saying? Of course he's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Of course he's tough. Right. But does that aspect come into it uh, further than just his rushing player prop and to how you look maybe at the Cardinals overall and if he's willing to get dirty and do whatever it takes to win this game? I think that would affect his his rushing yards prop. I don't think there's any question about it. Listen, I just my, my last thing on this game would be both teams are flawed. Both teams have injury concerns and things of that nature. I just think the Rams have more talent and more top talent. I just think this is a huge game, like you said, for the boy wizard in, in McVeigh and even for Stafford. You know, I mean, Stafford spent all those years in Detroit and, and Somehow, by a miracle, got them to the playoffs a couple of times. You can't fault <laughs> yeah. anyone for losing playoff games when you're the Detroit Lion quarterback. So the fact that he's here now, like, this is a big game for him. I mean, Murray's younger, and he'll have more moments. Obviously, him not being with Hopkins is huge. Of course, Pat already hit all that. I just th- – this game to me is like – I think Arizona kind of is playing with a little ho- bit of house money here. I think there's a lot of pressure on the Rams in this game. You yeah. know, they kind of blew it last week. They could have been the two seed. Obviously, Arizona has limped down the stretch here. I just, you know, I don't want to let my future Ram ticket cloud my head here, but I really just think the Rams are better. I think the Rams, this is so important for them. It's important for them to get off to a hot start and really just, you know, be the team that they can be. I mean, I know you're going to be worried about Stafford and he could turn the ball over. I think even if he turns it over once or twice, they're still better. I just... I believe in the Ram team. I believe in their top talent, and I think they will prevail in the game. Yeah, it's a great point because the Stafford experiment's not going to be one and done, obviously, right? But that window is, what, two to four years? Yeah. Where this Kyler window, they're ahead of schedule. They still weren't projected to be here. They were ranked fourth in the division uh, coming into the season with Seattle and, and Russell Wilson and the Niners actually being ranked at the top by a lot of sports books to, to win the division in general. So the the Cardinals are ahead of schedule, and that's an interesting thought that you brought there, that they're playing with some house money in their own right. But, uh, man, this was a whole lot of fun. I know uh, you know Pat and I get on here and talk to each other for hours every <laughs> single week. It is great to have you in here. Arthur DeCesar at ArtDice21. Art, you got any parting words for betters going into Wild Card Weekend, for you know, anything in the sports world, anything in the personal world? We like to do last words on Subway Sports Talk. You can take it wherever you want. You could even take it to a new sport. So any last words for Subway Sports Talk uh, for Arthur DeCesar? Absolutely. First of all, gentlemen, this was an absolute pleasure. This was so much fun. I hope we can do it again. This was really great. Um, listen, man, just have fun this weekend, guys. Like this is – we all love sports and we all love sports betting. Obviously, the NFL is the king, and this is what we live for to bet on these playoff games, and it's finally here. Just have fun with it. Don't overextend yourself. Just – you know, stick to your stuff and just enjoy it, man. And the only thing I'll throw in on another sport here is don't sleep on those 25 to one Ranger to win the Stanley cup tickets. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Wait, I got, I got a drop for that. Hold on. Bam. There we go. Love my meatballs. There you go. I'm not a hockey guy. Pat, I know you're a hockey guy. Do you have any words on on Art's uh, long shot Rangers Stanley Cup? Pat, I know I know a few right. listeners in the Subway Sports Talk realm just got real hyped, <laughs> got real perky in their seat. I hope it blows up in your face because I'm an Islanders fan. So <laughs> I've hey. already lost value though. It was forty to one. Now it's twenty five to one. So you've already lost some value, but I think twenty five to one's still okay. 
Yeah. Uh, again, I just I hate the Rangers. So <laughs> are the Islanders their their top their top dogs in the division? No, no, they've had an awful year. They yeah. were they, they've they been were wrecked Stanley, though by COVID. Yeah. They were Stanley Cup favorites. Had, they were wrecked by COVID. The NHL yep. fucked them. They didn't postpone they their did. games until it was too late. Then they yep. had then they and then they had guys hurt. Then they came back and then the West Coast and Canada games got canceled. So they had like another like two and a half week break. They finally oh. just got back for the first time in two weeks tonight. They beat the Devils. So they got like 18 out of their next 24 games are at home, and they've played like eight less games than everybody else in the league. So they got to go on a massive run. But watch them next year, right? They'll be undervalued, so they'll have value next year to win the cup. There you go. All sorts of value on this podcast tonight. (laughs) That's what I love, baby. That was fantastic. All right, y'all. Subway Sports Talk for Arthur DeCesar, Pat Boyle, and I'm Pete Kennedy. This was Wait, Pete, I got got one last. I got got final words. Yes, sorry, real quick. Just to finish on the Rams and the Cardinals, because I made it sound as if like, I don't know, maybe it did, there, that I made it sound like there was no way the Rams could lose this game. If Kyler Murray gives an MVP performance that I've been hoping to see out of him for the next, last couple of weeks, and he can beat them with his legs and force LA to be safe in their and, and not just go all out, drop back in coverage, and they force their linebackers to, to bring pressure and to spy – if Kyler Murray, I'm going to say this, I'm going to give the X-factor line. If he can run for 80 yards, run for 80, throw for 250, Cardinals win the game. I <laughs> I'm going to put it at that line. It's got to throw for 250, run for 80. I like it. Uh, yeah, let's ride, baby. I'm out here. We're, we're, you know, keep an eye out on Subway Sports Talk Instagram and Twitter at Subway Sports Talk, at Subway Sports Talk, TLK on Twitter. Uh, mine and Pat's picks will be up there. I'll be on the mountain on Saturday in like five degree weather, checking like injury reports with my thumb freezing off, you know, just like trying to figure out what the hell is going on. But I'll probably have a lot of my bets locked in by that point. I can't wait. It's going to be an electric weekend and uh, we'll be back. Subway sports talk. Of course, we're going to be back with picks all throughout the playoffs podcast throughout the playoffs, NBA stuff as well coming up over the next couple of weeks. So again, Art, thank you so much, Pat, as always. Thank you so much. I'm Pete Kennedy. Subway sports talk y'all. Cheers.